from WDEV Radio in Waterbury. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Illich. Thanks for joining us on this Friday, January 26th. We are here for our regular recap of the week's news in politics and policy with a few surprises thrown in. As always, we have a few guests to help us along. We start with the chair of the Vermont House Ways and Means Committee. We're going to talk about her proposals around something called a wealth tax. It's a way to raise more tax revenue for programs the legislature wants to pursue that need millions of dollars and the House Ways and Means Chair among and many in the legislature believe that the best way to do that is to tax those with higher in not just higher income but with uh, other kinds of wealth as well. We'll get into that with Emily Kornheiser and others. And then at 10 o'clock, Bob Nay, uh, our usual visit with uh, on all things Washington, D.C. There's so much going on. Uh, Donald Trump is about to be told how much he's going to have to pay in a civil lawsuit where he has been, it's been adjudicated that he sexually assaulted a woman named E. Jean Carroll. Uh, that's coming any minute. The International Court of Justice is about to uh, rule on the Israeli-Hamas war. So we'll talk about all that with Bob Ney. 10.15, we're going to talk to Colin Flanders, the reporter for seven days, about a new diversion program to keep drug and other offenders out of jail. Um, that's a proposal from reformist prosecutor Sarah George. We'll talk to Colin Flanders about that story. And then at 10.30, we have the founder of an animal rights group, uh, that has sued the state Fish and Wildlife Department over its handling of uh, the way uh, we trap animals in this state uh, and uh, protect our wildlife has filed a lawsuit to stop that practice and to force the state to go back and rework the way it regulates the practice. So uh, all of that and more uh, on the show today, we invite you to stay with us for the entire two hours you can hear us at AM 550 and various FM stations, not to mention our podcast at WDEVradio.com. You can find us wherever you are in the world. The podcast appears magically on our website shortly after the show. Of course, we welcome your calls and emails. The number to call is 802-244-1777. Send your emails to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. All that coming up. But first, the review of the week's news. Governor Phil Scott proposed a state budget this week of $8.6 billion. That sounds like a lot. It's a 3% increase over last year and breaks down in a variety of ways. $2.3 million of that is the general fund for general government. The rest is transportation and education. There's $12 million for flood recovery in central Vermont towns like Barrie and Montpelier and down in Ludlow and other places. Tax breaks to re for renovations of old housing, $5 million for the state college system, and much, much more. I promise we'll have somebody on the show to break down that budget and talk to people uh, who are the beneficiaries of some of that money. Democrats immediately said uh, the governor's budget speech this week and his proposals were too negative and short on hope, in the words of House Speaker Jill Krowinski, a Democrat. 
Even moderate Democratic Senator Jane Kitchell, uh, often a, an ally of the governor, was a little miffed. This budget sets off what could be the biggest face-off between the governor and the legislature that we have seen in the governor's long career here. The legislature wants to bring more change to the way society operates in Vermont. It's not just the proposed wealth tax. It's paid family leave, criminal justice, and many other proposals, flood relief, housing. Governor Scott, like most governors before him, is trying to hold the line on spending, saying Vermonters cannot afford higher taxes and cannot afford higher spending. The legislature, as is its habit, often pushes back. Democrat or Republican, uh, it's always this way. Governor Howard Dean was a Democrat, was always pushing back on the legislature as spend-happy liberals. So we'll see where that goes. In other news, a proposal to drastically change the state's bottle bill has failed. The proposal would have expanded the bottle bill to all those non-carbonated drinks that have come to the market, uh, Gatorade and vitamin drinks. The bill passed both houses last year and was vetoed by the governor. The House overrode the veto of the, gov- of the governor's veto in the first week of this legislative session this month. But this week, the Senate did not. So the bill for now is, de- is dead. I love these debates because they often come down to changing the way Vermont's social structure and culture actually work. The supporters of the bill, VPIRG and and environmentalists and others wanted to capture all the additional bottles and cans that they say are not being recycled. Opponents say the recycling system is doing a good job of capturing those bottles and cans. But as Republican Senator Randy Brock said on the show a few weeks ago, part of the challenge here is everyday living. Where do you find the redemption center to drop off your bottles and cans? Do you really want to put them smelly and dirty in the back of your car and drive them several miles. Montpelier got rid of its redemption center a few years ago. Remember M&M Beverage right next to the Savoy Theater, between the Savoy Theater and uh, and the uh, grocery store, the, uh, the Shaw's there in downtown? It's a really, it was a really messy affair uh, where we all took our bottles and cans. My understanding of the bill uh, is that it would have Uh, created new redemption centers. And I think in the end, uh, I think the bottle bill was sunk. uh, The expansion was sunk by that notion of sort of everyday convenience. You know, I'm not going to put all these bottles and cans in a giant plastic bag in the back of my car, you know, drive them all the way to the redemption center and then haul them into a dirty redemption center, dump them in, bring bring the bag back into my car and drive all the way home. So, We'll see where that goes. I suspect that Bieberg will give it another try. Uh, also, Burlington City Councilors voted on Monday against placing a pro-Palestine resolution on the March 5th ballot. That denies voters a chance to weigh in on an issue that's divided the council and the community at large. Council has discretion over whether to put advisory questions on the ballot. Uh, And they did not buy the argument that uh, pro-Palestinian activists were were uh, were pushing, which is to make Burlington a, quote, apartheid free community that supports ending Israel's apartheid regime, settler colonialism and military occupation. Boy, this argument just just keeps getting more and more heated. 
After more than three hours of a public forum during which proponents outnumbered opponents by about a dozen, counselors voted seven to five to reject the ballot. Also, Governor Phil Scott this week endorsed Nikki Haley for president. That was just before the New Hampshire primary. The former Republican governor of South Carolina got thumped by Donald Trump in the New Hampshire primary, ending speculation that moderate governors like Scott and Governor John Sununu of New Hampshire could pull someone like Haley across the finish line. Scott did not say that he would vote for Haley if she is the nominee. They differ on a fair amount, especially about abortion rights. Scott says that he voted for President Biden last time around. Uh, No word on who he is going to vote for this time. Uh, I suspect that uh, all Republicans like Phil Scott and and, uh, Governor Sununu of New Hampshire get heartburn when they have to talk about this issue. Um, We are awaiting word from the International Criminal Court, which is the largest court of the U.N., uh, on the Israeli-Hamas situation. Uh, people are expecting the court to say that, uh, to call on Israel to or to rule that Israel must stop its war in Gaza. We'll see where that goes. The United States uh, is, is notoriously reluctant to endorse the decisions or even the existence of the International Criminal Court because The United States worries often about what that could mean for our own actions on the international stage. Uh, In the one of the civil cases against Donald Trump, where he has been found guilty of sexual assault of a woman named E. Jean Carroll many years ago, we are awaiting any minute a judge's ruling on how much uh, former President Trump will be ordered to pay to E. Jean Carroll uh, in that case. That's coming up any minute. So when we come back, we're going to be joined by the Vermont House Ways and Means Committee Chair Emily Kornheiser uh, to talk about her proposal to uh, institute a wealth tax on wealthy Vermonters to pay for more government uh, spending. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Should Vermont institute a tax on wealthy Vermonters to raise more money for programs like paid family leave, health care, flood relief, and whatever else? The influential chair of the House Ways and Means Committee in the legislature has proposed bills to do just that. Her name is Emily Kornheiser. She is a representative from Brattleboro, and she joins us to talk about this now. Welcome, Madam Chair, to the show. Hi, Kevin. Great to be here with you. So, uh... I know it's it's some maybe it's more fun to appear in that big story in the New York Times uh, this week about this proposal. But you're on WDEV talking to Central Vermonters. Tell us why uh, you propose these two bills on on a, a so-called wealth tax. Absolutely, I think Vermonters want someone to answer the phone when they call government for the problem. They want their roads to be paved and not be full of potholes. And they know that if the roads are paved and not full of potholes, they will save money because they won't have to keep on paying for new tires, right? Um, We want our schools to care for our children. And we want to make sure that 
you know, we have the culverts and the flood resilient architecture that we need to be safe in emergencies. And right now, I think we've all felt the impact of, you know, our government support system spraying a little bit in Vermont. And we're doing the best we can to hold things together. You know, I have a dear friend who talks about how, you know, Vermont's held together with duct tape and bailing twine. And that is romantic. And Vermont volunteerism is incredible. But we are living in challenging times. And I think we really need to step up to the plate and figure out what we need to care for each other and to build the infrastructure that we need to care for each other. And so I want to make sure that we have the revenue that we need to do that. And in order to raise that revenue, we want to make sure that we're asking folks to pay their fair share. And right now, when we, you know, sit in the Ways and Means Committee and look across the arc of our tax system, we see that Vermont's wealthiest few are not paying their fair share right now and want to ask them to do that. And as I understand it, uh, there are two bills, one a surcharge on people's income tax, and then another on something called the unrealized capital gains. Uh, can you talk to us about those two bills? If, 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 tell me Absolutely. first if I have that right. You do have that right. And okay. I think before I even jump to that, I just want to say that there's sort of what the money pays for, right, which I talked about already, and I think everyone can relate to that need. The second thing is that we are living in times of really gross wealth inequality in, across the globe and especially in America. And everyone feels the impacts of that. I think one of the reasons we love Vermont is because we have such incredible socioeconomic diversity, even on a single street. But we're losing that here. And I think it's one of the things that makes our community so dynamic. And so we can use tax policy to close that gap. It's one of the greatest tools we have to close that gap. And so that's what these two proposals do. So the first proposal is quite straightforward. It's a surcharge on the marginal income over $500,000 a year that folks are filing um, personal income tax statements on. And we did something very similar um, during the last recession. It was called the Snelling surcharge. And folks, you know, from a, really across the political spectrum, right, it was called the Snelling surcharge, um, got on board with that. And it was a way to address Vermont's sort of immediate needs. Um, in a fairly emergency situation. And so that is one of the proposals is the surcharge um, on top income earners rather than um, it's still a marginal rate, but it's just a little more simpler and a little more straightforward than creating a new tax bracket. And then okay. the second proposal. Did you want to say something, Kevin? No, go ahead. Okay, great. Um, the second proposal is about taxing wealth. And it has parallels um, to proposals put forward in a number of other states, as well as the wealth tax proposal that our own Senator Sanders has put forward in the Senate, along with Elizabeth Warren. Um, and what that is, is it essentially looks at the value of wealth, not income, but wealth, because we know that, you know, the 0.01%, the 1% of the 1%, the wealthiest Americans, often don't have any declared income at all and borrow against their wealth in order to pay their bills. 
And so, and are paying really teeny tiny amounts of taxes on that wealth because of how it's managed. And so what this bill does is it says you have wealth um, that might be in stock holdings or corporate holdings or something like that. And that wealth gains in value every year. Say the same way we know that our property might gain in value every year, right? Um, And we pay taxes, property taxes, on that sort of increase in the value of our property every year, right? This does essentially the same thing with much more substantial holdings. So more than $10 million in holdings of wealth that could be held in a trust or um, just in the market. Any increase in that value, any appreciation in those assets is then taxed as income along with sort of folded into the rest of our income tax code. And there are lots of mechanisms built into that that, you know, have exemptions and, um, you know, circumstances for if things change, all of that. But that's sort of the core understanding of the bill. And I'll ask you the question that that you'll probably have to answer a thousand times uh, Mm -hmm. on this issue, which is, oh, this is going to drive wealthy people to go, as many do already, go live in Florida for half the year where they don't have these kinds of taxes and then come back to their house in Vermont. What's what's your yeah. answer to that one? So the first thing I would say about that is Vermont's never going to win a race to the bottom. And so I don't want to enter that race, right? Um, Vermont already puts, you know, more money than many other states towards our community infrastructure, towards our physical infrastructure, towards our social infrastructure. And Vermonters pay taxes to pay for that. And that creates a state that has tremendous natural beauty, has strong communities, cares for each other. And people move here because of that. People stay here because it is a great place to live and a great place to do business. And there is significant research that it's actually low and middle income folks who are more likely to move for economic reasons, um, are more Mm -hmm. mobile. And we've seen more and more folks with wealth actually moving into the state over the last few years. So I would say essentially there's a lot of research that that's not true, though, of course, each of us might have an individual experience of one person doing something like that. Writ large, it is not a dynamic that tends to play out. I saw the governor say in the article that I read that he didn't really know how many wealthy people are in Vermont. I'm I assume you know, and I assume that both the legislature and the governor have the economic analysis that shows us exactly how many people would be affected by this. Do you have any idea how many people we're talking about here? So when we're talking about the income surcharge, we're talking about the top 2% of Vermonters, um, Vermont income tax filers. Um, we know with regards to the wealth tax that, you know, there's a billionaire living in Vermont. There are many millionaires living in Vermont um, and that there is significant wealth here in this beautiful Green Mountain state. OK, um, now uh, chances of pa- chances of passage, uh, Madam Chair, I know it's early to get into the politics of this, but how do you you know, how are you going to pursue trying to get this stuff passed? 
Well, you know, Kevin, I know we did just legalize sports betting in Vermont, and I was happy to vote for that. But I actually have never bet on anything, um, just not my thing. And so I don't want to place odds on this legislation. But we are going to have robust conversations in our committee. We're beginning to do that. Um, we're going to have robust conversations across the caucuses and with the Senate. Um, my understanding is that Senator Cummings is going to begin taking this up next week. I'm not sure. I have not seen her schedule myself. That's just what I've heard. And we're going to get the work done to really fully understand the policies and talk to each other and talk to Vermonters about it. And how will you deal with a governor who will uh, continue to say Vermonters can't afford this? It's going to hurt the middle class. Uh, you know, he's going to push back on this. How do, how do you deal with this? You have to deal with him on these kinds of issues all the time. You walk into his office and have a meeting with him. You wait for him to come to you. How does that all work? Well, Kevin, we've had a lot of conversations with the tax commissioner who, you know, serves the governor. And what we see when we look across our tax structure in Vermont is that we do a very good job on progressivity with the lowest income brackets. Um, we have a really strong earned income tax credit. We have a really strong child tax credit. We do a fairly good job in Vermont making sure that those folks don't pay more, more than their fair share. But we do. Um, that means that essentially the, a lot of our tax responsibility, our tax burden in Vermont is carried by the middle class. And so this proposal actually changes that. Okay. Instead of having we, oh. the taxes sit on our middle class, it means that the wealthiest few pay their fair share so that we can afford a, we can live in a Vermont that's for everyone and affordable for working okay. Vermonters. That's what this proposal does. Madam Chair, I know you've got to go. You've got to get back to committee. But I had one more question for you, which is, where can Vermonters learn more about your wealth tax proposals and where can they follow along uh, in this oh, debate that's going to go on? Oh, I love that question. Thank you. So <laughs> the legislature's website um, can be found by just Googling Vermont legislature. And then on that website, there is a tab essentially for the Ways and Means Committee. You can just put Ways and Means in there. And then you'll see our agendas right there, front and center. Um, and you can follow along with our work there. And there'll be links to the bills, um, links to any testimony we take. And we started that work la We started that work on Tuesday. So you could really pull up some of the work that we did on Tuesday um, to start. Folks can also find my own website, emilykornheiser.org, and sign up for my newsletter there. And we will uh, have you back on another show to uh, try to understand why it is that y you are so excited about uh, talking about the depths of tax policy, which I, I want to kill myself. But uh, some people love this subject and they can get it at the House Ways and Means Committee with Emily Kornheiser. <laughs> Taxes are how we fund civilization, Kevin. Glad to That's be on right. the show and happy to come back. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. That's House Ways and Means Committee Chair Emily Kornheiser. Uh, she's got two proposals uh, to for a surcharge on pe on wealthy people's income, and then another one on their uh, the wealth in general. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. It's going to be a fascinating debate. We're going to continue uh, with this debate right now because we have another guest uh, who kind of specializes in this subject. Her name is Annika Howell. She's the campaign manager for Fund Vermont's Future. It's a project of the 
Public Assets Institute, which is a think tank that specializes in uh, subjects exactly like this. Annika Hallowell, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Uh, I made a joke there with Emily about, you know, how exciting it is to talk about tax policy. I can think of nothing more boring, but uh, (laughs) as she's as she says, it is how we it is how we fund civilization and how we pay for uh, a civil society. So let's get into it. Um, there are two proposals here. One is to put a surcharge on people's income over a certain amount. I believe it's over five hundred thousand dollars a year, and on the marginal. Uh, cost of that, and then a, a, a tax on the what's what we call wealth or unrealized capital gains uh, for really wealthy Vermonters who have 10 million bucks in their bank account or more. Can you kind of go over this for us and explain it in as basic English as possible? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I also want to second Representative Kornheiser in, in saying that taxes are so exciting to talk about. We should we should all be talking about taxes. Um, the the first proposal, which I think Representative Kornheiser also, she laid out both of the bills in a really straightforward way, which is wonderful and super helpful. Um, so the first is a 3% surcharge on marginal income over $500,000. What this means is that if, if you're an individual for the for the first five hundred thousand dollars that you make, this wouldn't affect you at all. Um, for the first dollar after the first five hundred thousand dollars, you would start seeing a three percent surcharge on your personal income taxes. This will only affect less than two percent of Vermont residents. We're actually looking at around like one point one to one point two percent of Vermonters. So it's a really small portion of folks who are actually making over five hundred thousand dollars per year, but would raise significant state revenue. The, the second proposal is another really exciting bill that would basically create a tax on, on unrealized gains, and it would subject unrealized gains to Vermont personal income taxes. It would only affect taxpayers who already have over $10 million in assets. So this bill is also really um, only affecting the wealthiest Vermont residents. What this means when, when we're talking about unrealized gains um, this is kind of related. You can you can think about it in the same world as capital gains. So what that means is that when, when a gain is unrealized, it means that you have an asset that grows over the course of a year, but you don't actually cash, cash it out. So in really simple terms, if we think about having, for example, a stock that at the beginning of the year is worth $1 and at the end of the year is worth $5, but you don't sell the stock, you've your worth has increased by $4, but you aren't taxed on that increase. So this is a bill that would be looking at taxing a portion of those unrealized gains over $10 million with the Vermont personal income tax code. Okay. Thank you. That's that's a good, simple explanation. Now, let me put on my free market uh, Milton Friedman, Ronald Reagan hat here and say, uh, I'm just trying to think of the arguments. Um, number one, uh, you're going to, how are you going to, how is government going to track my unrealized gains? Um, that's going to be 
an unwarranted intrusion into my private economic life, is it not? I think when we're when we're thinking about the answer to that question, um, there there are a few different aspects of it. The first is this question on privacy, um, and I I don't think that there are many of us who would consider that there's a big difference in privacy between this and how we're already doing taxation. You know, we already tax things like property and income, and and this is just um, an added an added facet of that. Um, I think the other piece is how are we really tracking this? And um, the Joint Fiscal Office is, is currently working on estimates for, for basically like who this would affect and how much money it would raise and, and looking at wealth distribution in Vermont. A part of this that's really exciting is that we don't currently have um, wealth taxes in this way in Vermont. So so it's opening us up to kind of un, un, unleashing this this new set of data. Um, and for, for data nerds, like I said, public assets, that's really exciting. Um, you know, so there's there's the two sides of this that are, one is wrapping our heads around what it means to tax unrealized gains and what that what that is at a conceptual level. And, and the other is um, actually doing it in practice. Um, and I think that when we think about actually doing it in practice, we're, we're thinking about new systems all the time. We're creating new programs all the time where new, new taxes have been developed over the centuries. And the fact that it isn't currently being done, I don't think is a reason to not do it in the future if it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, as, as someone who endured an IRS audit last year, uh, I can assure you, uh, uh, all the listeners, that uh, if you don't think the IRS knows uh, where your money's coming from and where you live, uh, uh, think again. Uh, they, they turned us inside out in one of the more unpleasant experiences of my life. So, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, they already know so much about us. And uh, so, okay, now... Let's move to the 16th Amendment issue. Some people say that taxes on wealth are unconstitutional because uh, when the Constitution talks about uh, that, that we can have income taxes. And I suppose it boils down to how you define the word income. Income from, you know, you're a barista at Starbucks and you make a, 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 an income, uh, but the 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 unrealized gain a value gain in say your house or a stock is not actually income can you talk about that yeah for sure i i also want to start out by just putting it out there that we haven't seen any like very real or credible um legal challenges to this sort of legislation i just want to say that off the off the bat um and I also want to want to talk about the concepts of taxation. Um, when we're thinking about using personal income taxes on unrealized gains, it's because we are seeing that folks' net worth is increasing, and, and they're therefore having some sort of income going into their bank accounts, right? Um, even though it isn't realized, and. This concept is already playing out with with capital gains. So when folks realize a gain, it, it is considered um, personal income. I also there are a lot of different types of taxes, and we can we can go so deep into this. But the idea around wealth taxes isn't something that's new. 
um, you know, when we when we were first thinking about taxes in the United States, a lot of a lot of wealth taxes were thought of in the form of property taxes, right? Because a lot of middle income and and wealthy folks were holding a lot of their wealth in in property, and and that was something that has you know long been constitutional and, and allowed. Um, and I, I'm just pointing that out to say that we can think about wealth in different ways. We're having an evolving understanding of how folks are holding their wealth. Um, but our tax system has to evolve along with that. You know, we have to see that the folks are, are changing the way that they're holding their wealth as our economy evolves, as our social systems evolve. And it also makes sense for our tax systems to evolve with that. My understanding, uh, Annika, is that there are other states doing this. The New York Times story that I read that featured uh, Emily Kornheiser and her proposals talked about other taxes. Uh, I, I wonder if we are at a point where the, the states are beginning to suffer in such ways that the, the proposal for these kinds of taxes are inevitable. Can you talk about other states and why this is happening? Yeah, I think that this is happening across the United States because every state is seeing a similar economic and social and political landscape. We're seeing that income and wealth inequality are increasing really quickly. Um, and, you know, the top income earners and the wealthiest folks aren't necessarily paying their fair share in taxes. And at the same time, we're seeing all of these needs that, that are really present in Vermont and are also really present in other states. So it's really necessary to increase revenue at the state level. Um, and, and as we're looking at other states, we're seeing that there have been other really successful pushes for progressive revenue in recent years. So about a year and a half ago now, Massachusetts had a, a ballot measure which created a 4% surcharge on income over $1 million. That was was a really landmark, uh, a, a landmark piece of legislation. Um, so as, as we're thinking about this national movement for progressive revenue, I think that it's important to look at what it means for Vermont specifically. We know that in Vermont, we need bills like this. We need more revenue. We're seeing increased income and wealth inequality. And we also need to remember that we aren't existing in a silo, and the trends that are present in Vermont are also present across the country. And we're, we're looking at taxation primarily to, to increase revenue. You know, we need public investment. We need to be able to invest in our communities, our people, our families. Um, and at the same time, as Representative Kornheiser mentioned a few minutes ago, taxation is also a really important method to be able to have an effect on income and wealth inequality. Our guest is Annika Heilwell. She's the campaign manager for Fund Vermont's Future, which is a project of the progressive-leaning Public Assets Institute. It's, uh, if you're old enough, you'll remember that uh, Public Assets was founded by former House Majority Leader Paul Sillo, I know he's blissfully in retirement right now, uh, but he I, I can't imagine that he would uh, not be supportive of these wealth taxes that are being proposed. Annika Howell, uh, we were talking about the constitutionality of this of these wealth taxes. Now, let me ask you a question about culture. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a student of history and I, I 
sort of came of age in the Reagan era when when President Reagan in the 80s, in my view, successfully won the argument that Americans are overtaxed and that we need to reduce taxes on all Americans. And that uh, that argument, I, in my view, continues to hold sway today. Uh, this this argument that we should tax wealthy Americans, it, it, there's a fascinating dynamic that happens because even oftentimes, even those people who are not wealthy uh, oppose such taxes. Oftentimes, they say because they believe that they will become wealthy in the future. Uh, can we talk about that cultural situation and how? people like you uh, combat it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to, to start with the, the point on a lot of folks not necessarily supporting um, taxation like this, I want to push back a little bit because we have polling from one of our partners that's consistent with a lot of national polling that shows that Vermont residents are overwhelmingly in support of increasing taxes on the wealthiest Vermont residents. Um, it's something that, that yeah, I, as I said, is, is repeated across the country. We see that there's this growing tension between the, the ideas around public investment and people recognizing what public investment really does for our communities. And at the same time, we're seeing this income and wealth inequality that is, is impossible to ignore. And, and we see that reflected in our, in our polling when we know that that a majority of folks are are in support of proposals like this, and when we're talking about about culture and you know going back to to the Ronald Reagan era when when it was a lot more about individualism and about cutting taxes, especially for wealthy folks, I think that we are starting to see some backlash against that because there's more of this recognition that taxes are an investment in our communities. Taxes are are how we take care of each other. You know, when we're thinking about our public schools, when we're thinking about local projects, when we're thinking about investments that are bringing people together, all of this is funded by taxes. You know, we're, we're able to have healthy communities when everyone is able to thrive and being able to, to actually create systems and communities where folks are able to take care of their families and, and thrive and, and be able to, you know, have real relationships with their, their neighbors and be an active part of their community. All of these things are lifted up by taxes. So, you know, we, we can see that. We can see what public investment does for our towns, for our communities. And we we see that reflected in our polling. You know, we, we see that folks are more and more excited about these ideas of increasing taxes on the wealthiest people um, in order to actually build communities that do work for everyone. Uh, we're running short of time, but I want to take one call from Rich in Starksboro. Rich, you are on the line with Annika Heilwell and me. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Annika. I've got a question about the proposal on the unrealized capital gains tax. Uh, first of all, I want to mention I'm tickled. I don't need any of those income minimums to make this happen for me. But um, would there also be on the uh, counterpart a credit for unrealized capital losses um it's, it's pretty is a you know someone who invests it's it's you know you, things go up and down and you, you could pay a capital gain tax or unrealized capital gain tax and then next year the thing could be down 50 percent so anyway that's all i'll say thank you interesting 
question. I had Annika. I must admit, I had not thought about that question. What do you think? That's a great question, and, and thanks, Rich. So, with this bill, um, taxpayers can offset offset their gains with losses. Um, so you can't get refunds, but you can offset your gains with with losses in a year. And unused losses one year can actually be carried forward to later years. So there are provisions for that. There are also a bunch of like little caveats in the bill around, you know, little exclusions and and also um, the the bill, basically the, the total taxable gains each year can't exceed 10% of the household's net wealth over $10 million. And that was a lot of a, a lot of words. But basically what I'm trying to say is that when we're thinking about things like losses and when we're thinking about how much wealth can be affected by this bill, it's it's done in a very responsible way. It is keeping in mind that, you know, sometimes assets do depreciate in value. Um, and this bill is really accounting for that and accounting for the fact that, um, you know, there, there are differences in the market year to year. Um, and this, this bill is, once again, really only affecting the wealthiest folks in Vermont. And on top of that is, is affecting them in a very fiscally responsible and, and mediated way. Well, we will be following it uh, up to the minute. I know that Public Assets Institute has testified already at the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, Annika Hollowell, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be following everything you're doing on this issue uh, down the line, and we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. It was good to be here. Okay. That's the wealth tax. Uh, That's going to be – it may be boring to some, but it is a huge political – a policy and cultural uh, issue that is going to take center stage. And you hasn't it hasn't dominated the headlines yet, but I guarantee you, if, if this goes anywhere politically, I guarantee you it's going to be a, a big, big issue. And we'll, we'll dive deeper into it. Um, I'll try to get a free market economist on here, uh, one of Bill Sayers' guests, uh, to talk about the other side of this issue uh, very soon. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.